Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Keen Lake Podcast. Unfortunately, I will be without Wilson Torres, who brings the comic relief and all the good conversation to the podcast. So this is Jake. I'm by myself. Well, not by myself, but um, I am in a hotel room with another man. Small. <laughs> Early uh, on a Tuesday morning after Memorial Day in New York, but uh, I will be co- I'll be hosting the show alone. But I do have a guest with me, a special guest, if you will, um, another man. Like I said, Georgie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jake. Appreciate yeah, it. No problem. Uh, thanks for coming on a early Tuesday morning to record a, po- a whiskey podcast over coffee. I mean, post Memorial Day, where else would I rather be? Yeah, it was a little crazy uh, here at the hotel. Um, there was a lot of girls running around in swimsuits and security banging on their doors, kind of all night to say, "You can't have twenty people staying in your room." All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not happy that I actually wasn't here. Yeah, yeah. It was okay. <laughs> like, I'm not missing that, but basically everybody was like passed out by ten. It seemed like in the whole city. After a whole day of drinking. Yes. Uh, Sunday got a little crazy. Yeah. Did for you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. little barbecue. Nice. Um, post-barbecue action yesterday as well, but definitely an earlier night. I was trying to find any barbecue, just sniffing around through Brooklyn, but didn't find any. Mm. Um, then I fell into the whiskey, the Brooklyn whiskey. Yeah. They had barbecue there, but I passed on that and... Yeah, probably a good idea. Yeah, There's I, better local barbecue here. I ended up uh, eating at some pub down the street, which was much better of a choice. At like ten o'clock at night, had a few different McKellers and uh, some a burger with barbecue sauce on it. Actually, I think I'm not really sure. It was kind of in a fog of jet lag and a few beers, and kind of like, oh, okay, I'll eat whatever. French fries, ketchup, tasty. Um, but yeah, uh, basically what we're doing here, um, been kind of having conversations all throughout this trip. This is actually the first recorded one, even though when I was in Melbourne, I didn't, you know, had amazing whiskey conversations, but didn't record any of them because just didn't have mics readily available on me at 24 seven. But, um, just kind of wanted to talk to people along this way. And, um, you're the first, uh, New York guest. Oh, appreciate that. Yeah, Honored. definitely. Yeah. Honored. Yeah. So, uh, Georgie and I kind of, um, Yes, we work together. Yeah, definitely. That's a good way of putting it. But you prefer uh, Redwood Brands, which is um, the portfolio manager of Star Ward. Is that the best way to describe it, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 And uh, you have a few other brands on there as well. Another Australian Mr. Black uh, brand, so uh, which is super tasty. And went to an event of theirs while in Melbourne um, at this really cool, this, like, what? I guess it wasn't a speakeasy because it was upstairs, not downstairs, but you had to have a key to get into the door. Um, but I felt a little unsafe since the door was locked, so if there's a fire, we were all trapped in there, but that's all right. Um, You're out alive. That's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, we have a nice shelf of whiskey. We'll just down that all as we burn alive. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was cool, a little event up there. But, um, yeah, that's some of the brands that you represent um, along with Star Ward. Um, what other brands are on there? Uh, Westward as yeah. well out of Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Um, I'd say like a distant cousin of Star Wars. No, yeah. no, no relation whatsoever. Uh, and completely different animals when we're talking yeah. about whiskey, but um, both extraordinary with a great sense of place. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of, um, I, think I would say it's two brands that, like you said, very different. Um, a lot of different climate. Ooh, the destination <laughs> is on the right. <laughs> if you turn right, you will fall eight stories into an alley in Brooklyn. But um, this is definitely the best view I've had for a podcast, looking over into Manhattan and the rest of the city of Brooklyn. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, a lot of tangents on here. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, Westward, it's <laughs> it's kind of how we grow, so don't worry about it. Um, 
We'll be talking about like something craft whiskey, and then a, a train will come by our where we usually record at, and, and like it's a nice day in Chicago. <laughs> but um, no, we uh, with West going back to Westward. It's in Star Wars. What they kind of not that the names kind of sound alike. That's one similarity, but uh, it, different climates. But they're both trying to fill a gap, I think, in like the whole like single malt um, shelf, right, if you will, uh, and doing things differently, taking big risks um, when you know creating their product, and also. They only have one product out right now, correct? Uh, in in this market, correct? this market, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out in Portland, they're doing a, a stout cask finish. And oh, they've cool. Got some other, you know, yeah. fun stuff going on. Uh, but yeah, like you were saying, I I very much think that two companies that are taking a great risk and kind of blazing their own path. Uh, For sure. As far as Starwood goes, no, no company that I know of that's taken Australian whiskey to the global market. Yeah. Right. There's there's a couple of phenomenal distilleries out there. Lark Sullivan's Cove. Yeah. Amazing whiskey. Um, don't make a ton of it. No, it's <laughs> it's crazy. Like I didn't know. I mean, knew, I knew of, like, Lark. I knew of some of their ones. I knew of Four Pillars um, with their gins. But, like, the amount of distilleries there are out there from gin, aperitifs, and whiskeys, it's crazy. And, you know, Star Wars the biggest, and it's a craft distillery. Right. If you put it here in context of, like, the U.S., it'd be um, – actually, I hate always going back to similarities with Cobol. I, mean, I worked there for four years, so it kind of is easy that way. But the distilleries look very similar. Okay. Um, even the branding is kind of similar, too. Mm-hmm. But um, they both about 45,000-square-foot warehouses. Um, still sh- sizes are about the same as well. And they produce about the same amount of whiskey in a year, too. And Star- and Cobol is just, like, the big guy in Chicago. Right. And the little blip on the national um, uh, map. Not to say anything, not to downgrade them at all, but that, that's the way it is. Competing yeah. with other big guys in Star Wars is the big guy over in Australia. Right. It's crazy to see that, but there's amazing... It was We were at a bar called Bad Frankie in Melbourne, and the owner there, who is just an exceptional guy, just every every town should have an ambassador like Seb, that's his name, um, uh, who knows everything about local whiskey, everything about local products. His whole bar is only shelled with local stuff from Australia, um, but it's a huge back bar, and that was where it kind of hit me right in the face. We are like, wow, all these products exist, and none of them are over in the U.S. You can only come over here and drink them pretty much, right. um, or the U.K. for some of them, but not many of them. And Star Wars the big guy, and you have there's all these Star Wars bottles that I didn't even know even existed there. And he's like, "Yeah, try this, try that." I'm running through probably like 60, 70 bottles that are on the bar. He's just like, "Try this, sniff this. Um, this goes great with ice. Just have it, just neat. Um, have, here's a little cocktail." Like, and he, and at the end of the day, after like two hours of being there and trying all this stuff, he's like, "You know, represent us well." And I was like, "Absolutely." Now yeah. I, I take it, take it to heart to really see what's happening and over there and. It's not just Star Wars, it's Melbourne, too, that you're representing, and I think Australia a little bit as well. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's exciting. It's an exciting time in whiskey, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, with with global whiskey kind of stepping on the main stage, well, mainly because of Japanese whiskey, let's be honest, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's, a, there's a great opportunity here to kind of carve out your own path for what Australian whiskey mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Most people hear of Australian whiskey, and uh, they go, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, Honestly, it, that was kind of my first uh, reaction, if you will, when I when uh, um, our fellow coworker Polly introduced me to the brand, and I'm like, I didn't know Australian whiskey was really a thing. It's, it is, it's a thing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> some great whiskey coming mm-hmm. out of Australia. We're just we're just fortunate enough to be working with one of the companies. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. 
How'd you start with Redwood? Redwood, Redwood, excuse me. So I was a Northeast regional manager for a small craft distillery out of uh, Virginia, very similar to Coval in the sense, female founder. Yeah. Uh, called Catoctin Creek, great little uh, rye house. That's pretty much all they do. They make a, they make a phenomenal organic rye, yep. as well as you know gin, some brandies, etc. And. Uh, then there was this opportunity to work with a couple of whiskey brands that I highly respect, uh, Starward being one of them, Westward out of Portland, Oregon. It's like you have these great founders, great people behind them. Uh, it was it was time to make the step. Man. Yeah. It was uh, a downgrade in, in terms of position from a Northeast regional manager to a New York state manager, mm-hmm. but such an upgrade in terms of growth. Right, like growing with these distilleries and bringing them to market, I think is a great responsibility. Yeah, uh, one that that I'm definitely up to challenge. Yeah, was he was Starward even on the portfolio when you started? No, um, Starward was on the portfolio, but it was not in the states yet. <laughs> gotcha. So essentially, I launched Starward in cool. New York. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's you know coming out into market and seeing Starward on shelves. Most of them. Where, where I would be putting it, but some of them just kind of popping up of people actually jumping on the bandwagon and yeah. being like, wow, that, we heard about this great whiskey, we're going to pick it up, and seeing the traction there, and then most of all, seeing Dave Vitale's <laughs> eyes light up as he sees it on the shelves himself, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about Star Wars the whole time, but what is it like launching an international brand in this market? It's challenging, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. I, I mean, one... One would think that New York would be the most accepting of it, and and it is in a lot of ways. But this is, I would say, top five most challenging markets in, oh, in yeah. the world. Right? I, I would, like I would everybody have everybody wants to be in New York. Yeah, uh, it's quite challenging because while everybody's expect, accepting of whiskey, we're talking about <laughs> two, three, four thousand different brands that are trying to make their way into this market, yeah. trying to carve out shelf space, and all that. Uh, but it, it helps when something's truly unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is a unique brand, and we don't just talk about that the whole time. But just kind of the the approach of bringing it into this market, which for me is looking at the city right now, is just overwhelming sometimes when you think about how big it is and trying to place your your product in the bars and you're competing with hundreds and hundreds of of labels. I mean, even the single malt section of just international brands, how much that's grown over the last couple of years sure. in the states. You're like, I was sitting there looking at it the other day. I'm like. I can't believe like this many single malt brands exist just for international placement when you're sitting there like at a Benny's, um, which is our local liquor store, sure. and thinking about, wow, this is overwhelming um, sometimes. I mean, I was sitting at a Benny's like two weeks ago and ran to one of my other uh, rep friends, and he does two different bourbons and a rye. Um, and we're looking, I think we were looking at the bourbon or scotch section, and we were just like sitting there like, where do we fit in, you know? <laughs> like, right, yeah. Yeah, and, like, in Chicago, it's such craft-focused right now when it comes to, like, what's happening in the city, um, which is big, obviously, but you're still... The big players are, are there, and they're they're, having, they're getting the bar space, they're getting the shelf space more than the craft brands are, but you're competing with that level, and then you're also competing with the big guys, too. Yeah, 100%. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenging market out there to be in whiskey. Um yeah, you just you kind of have to find yeah. your niche, right? Yeah. You, you got to get out there and uh, do events and 
and just be known. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like, I always thought maybe like, are events always worth it? And now, like, when you're launching a new brand, it's like, what, how else do you get out there in the face of the public? Because obviously, you can go to bars, you can talk to the staff, you can train a staff at a liquor store as well. And that's where you want to sell those bottles, obviously, at the end of the day. But the public has to know about it sure. <laughs> before they go in. A lot of it's PR, yeah. a lot of it's marketing, yeah. a lot of it's actually dealing head on with your consumer yeah right it's like your whiskey could be the greatest whiskey in the world but if nobody knows what it tastes like what's the point absolutely uh that's <laughs> i know we're not supposed to be just talking about australian whiskey no, no. but part of it is you know that's kind of the the thing with why nobody knows about australian whiskey yeah. you have sullivan's cove and lark which i've tasted and i could absolutely say are phenomenal D- definitely right sullivan's cove has won the whiskey of the year at yeah. one point but nobody knows what it tastes like. Yeah. It's it's five hundred dollars on the shelf. Yeah. It's a beautiful bottle. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> every, the everyday drink. Yeah. The what do you drinker. do with that? Exactly. <laughs> and and then people know the name whenever I bring it up and say like, hey, it's an Australian whiskey. Lark is the first kind of name that comes to mind to sure. most people. Um, and you're I'm like, yeah. Now that I actually have tasted it and tasted it over in Australia, you're like, yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And here's another entry point into an international brand, an Australian brand, something you might like, something that's very different uh, than the U.S. brands um, or U.S. market, I guess. But Westward's kind of doing the same thing, and like, I'm sure that's a, a huge task to take on, too. I mean, a whole different animal. Yeah, it's a it's a craft brand in the States, which craft is huge, obviously, right now. The explosion of distilleries over the last decade, we don't need to go into because everyone kind of knows about it, but right. um, it's it, how to make your whiskey distinct and different from other other whiskeys is a tough challenge sure. and i'm sure a lot of that's kind of doing the same thing like with 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 uh star Wars. It's, yeah just getting yeah. out there and having in tastings exactly that's exactly what it is um you know the the general consumer is curious about what's out there and new yeah. products but what they know of is american whiskey is bourbon and rye yeah uh we're we're trying to introduce them to a whole different category if they american even know that malt. bourbon is whiskey it's like it's, it's it's the question you get so much it's like when you ask and i love that i get the question like so like what makes a bourbon different from whiskey like all right sweet i get to take you from ground zero all sure. the way up to like this huge tree and all these branches of sure. whiskey and in about five minutes, to yeah, be honest, yeah, you can yeah. do it fairly quickly. Oh, it's absolutely! Just, if somebody grasps it, it's like, well, let me talk. Let me talk. Start with you when the pilgrims came over and they started making beer. <laughs> but yeah, then there's this thing called prohibition, and which still has effects on everything in the whiskey industry today. Yeah, and that's the great point. People ask, like, where should I start? I'm like, start at prohibition. Um, prohibition will tell you everything. It's the consequence. It's the results of everything that's happening currently um, in America, sadly enough, where like laws are being changed from 80 years ago, from almost 100 years ago. When yeah. you go back to some states that had prohibition 25 years before prohibition even started. So um, it's kind of a nice entry point, but that's kind of like geeking out on whiskey. But yeah, Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just a little. I guess it is a whiskey podcast. But, um, um, but no, for like, those novice drinkers, when they come in and ask that question, I'm like, I've already had it a few times with Star Wars, and you're like, oh, cool. I, I can tell you about bourbons. I can tell you about Rise, the history real quick of like wh- how it all came about, sure. and then this is how we fit in. This is the new markets. This is how people are experimenting um, with barrel aging, and this is where we fit in with the, with the wine cast. And now seeing those wineries and going to those wineries and uh, you know, just like 
seeing the effects that those wine casts have when they come when they pull the wine out, um, what's left in the barrel, and then when we get them fresh, pretty much, and start to build barrel aging them and see the effects right away from it, and being there in person, it's a whole new perspective to have with the company, and it's awesome to have because I can't go to the distiller every day. <laughs> Just a short, short little hop over the pond. Yeah, those fifteen-hour flights are awesome, especially when you're flying from New York and you have another five-hour flight just to get to that fifteen-hour flight. But so you can look forward to that when you go over there. Okay, I actually am. Yeah, no, <laughs> not gonna lie. It is like one of those things where like it's like you're kind of worried about it at first, and then yeah. you're just like, I guess I'll kind of sleep. But like on the way back, I didn't really sleep. I'm like, and I didn't really watch movies. I'm like, what did I do on the flight the whole time? I it's just, kind, of, kind of like a time warp, right? It like, feels like it feels like yeah. It doesn't really feel like it's real when you get there, especially in Melbourne because it's a metropolis, which I wasn't. I didn't know how big it was at, before I got there until basically I got into the city center. And it's not as big as Chicago or anything or New York, but it's a fairly decent sized city. And you're like, did I really? travel across the world because you just kind of feel like you're just in another city <laughs> and because you just get, get in a plane you're sitting in a tube for like 15 hours and all of a sudden there you are there you are yeah, yeah, you're like yeah. all right i'm in like and it's not like you're going to like a, i mean it's a, a first world country it's very you know updated in technology and everything so you get the airport i'm like all right looks like an american airport you're like you don't even really believe it's kind of happening and then you take off again a week later and you're like that was real i guess so and it feels different being back in the states like my body feels like adjusted now like it's even being in America I don't know it's weird it's a very very strange but I never felt like I was settled I kind of felt like I was floating for a week and as soon right. as I got back to New York I'm like I'm good <laughs> I'm a real know. human again yeah I guess I don't know it was, it was strange but getting back to you and your uh, your journeys through this whole industry how did it all start for you it all started on the other side of the bar I yeah. think like it did for a lot of us um, I was in the industry pretty much from uh, high school on, uh, putting myself through college, et cetera, yeah. um, being a general, everything from a general manager to a server to a line cook to <laughs> a bartender yeah. uh, to eventually running my own beverage program. Uh, but I'd say my love of whiskey started at the Flatiron Room, which is a local whiskey haunt in mm -hmm. New York. I'd say it's top five whiskey haunts in America, uh, largest selection in the Northeast and I kind of owe it all to them um, as far as my ed education goes and my love of whiskey. Um, real intensive kind of training and getting down to everything from the history to distillation to where whiskey is today. Mm -hmm. And that was actually uh, narrated by Dave Broom, so one of the preeminent whiskey writers in the world. So after that, I, I went on and kind of Tended bar at other locations for a couple of years, opened up some uh, beverage programs, created their whiskey lists, cocktail programs, etc., and decided the next evolution, and that was to represent some brands and kind of help them grow, and, and here I am. Nice. So how long were you flatiron for then? So flatiron for about a year, give okay. or take. So it wasn't, it wasn't too long of a time, but with that said, I think I got a lot out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having 1,200 whiskeys at your disposal, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a pretty good learning tool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, was, when it, what was your first job there? I was in the floor. I, okay. was, uh, I was a server there and then got behind the bar here and there. Mm. Uh, but every single server at the Flatiron Room is required to pass a course called Lobster Inc., and that's the one there by Dave Broom. Um, before you could get on the floor. Okay. So it's pretty intensive, and in essence, you're 
quote unquote whiskey sommelier. Yeah. Right. Um, I was wondering if you had to do. Yeah. I know yeah. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a full on intensive training course because at the end of the day, if, if somebody's coming in, they're talking whiskey to you. Mm-hmm. You should know more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I always wonder if those places like they have like I was I can't remember what bar was if, I don't remember what it was but they were talking about how. Um, I think it was in Melbourne that the uh, the bar program it's one of the best whiskey bars there. Uh, you have to start um, as a host and then do that for like a couple months, and then you're a server for a couple months, and then you're a bar back for six months before you can become a bartender. So it's like I think it was almost a year and a half before you can become a, a bartender yeah. there, and it's like the best cocktail program in the city, a good whiskey list. It's like we want our our bartenders to be professionals, so sure. you're basically making. Probably a three-year commitment. I mean, if you will, you're not going to go through all that training and then leave, you know, as soon as you become a bartender after yeah. six months or something like that. Um, so that's yeah, it's pretty crazy and to know that. But it's also good to know that you're you're actually talking to people that probably have a passion, first of all, yeah. and then also have knowledge, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a commitment, right? Yeah. It's like what, what we do on a daily basis is not something that you would do without some love. Right? Yeah. Um, Speaking whiskey is is something that I love to do. I love the education aspect of it and, and building up categories. Right? Mm-hmm. We're not just not just selling brands because if you were just in sales, you could go sell cars, you could yeah. go sell whatever. Like this is this is all about education and kind of building yeah. building brands up. When did uh, <clears throat> that passion or at least the interest of whiskey start? Was it start at Flatiron before that? I'm gonna say it was a, it was at Flatiron, okay. uh, like like much. Much of the, much of the people out there, what I knew about whiskey was was Maker's Mark and yeah. Jack Daniels yeah. and and the Glen Livets and Glen Fittics, which I at some point probably referred to as Glen Fittich. Yeah, probably. Um, we all did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't until I started to taste the whiskeys out there that I that I was like, wow, there's so so much out there oh, yeah. to learn. Right? Yeah. It's kind of like. I look at, at, at as whiskey as being equivalent to golf. You mm. need to be well versed in it. Mm. Uh, yeah, and now it's like tasting everything from forty year space side whiskeys yeah. down to unaged rise from Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, you can appreciate all of them in a kind of a different way. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's going back to that too. Is you just saw bottles as bottles, but now even when I see a bottle of a bigger brand, you're like. That started with somebody who really cares about right. whiskey and distilling it, and then it's mm-hmm. and then the barrels itself. Someone made those barrels to be aged, and there's so much that goes into a whiskey before it even gets to the bar. And if it is like a bigger brand, it doesn't matter. There's people that are super passionate about their jobs making that brand, and then there's bartenders and reps that are passionate about whiskey too, selling those brands. Sure, yeah. There's a lot of history wrapped up oh, in, in whiskey and spirits in general, yeah. right? Like you were talking about the prohibition aspect. But going back before that, right? Going yeah. <laughs> going way back to when distillation started yeah. and how it started and why it started, there's there's so much there. It's mm-hmm. uh, quite rich in history. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it really is. It's something that like... it the parallels of the stories of history and the story of America, I always say run together. Um, a lot of it was kind of built with each other. We have food and drug administration acts because of whiskey. We have many laws that are set in this world because of whiskey. And it wasn't even until the 1960s that bourbon became defined as our native spirit where, you know, Scotland has scotch and Ireland has Irish whiskey and Japan has Japanese whiskey. Uh, that was like 
our native spirit. It became, finally became our native spirit. And I think today um, the craft brands are kind of what are becoming known as American whiskey. And I think that's really cool to see. It's not, I mean, obviously the bigger brands are the best sellers and um, still great ambassadors for American whiskey, but the craft brands are kind of taking it to a new level. And then we're kind of coming in with these international brands and introducing the world to more new brands. And Japan, it's funny, before I really got into whiskey, everybody said Japan was copying scotch. And then you realize, oh, no, they have like 100 years of building something completely different. And they're using the same tools, but creating their own history to it, if yeah, you will. Exactly. And I think that's <clears> what these international brands are doing now. It's like, yeah, they're taking notes from all all parts of the world, but bringing their own um, little, I guess, identity to it. Um, but getting back to you again, um, and not talking about so much of the world of whiskey. Uh, at Flatiron Room, um, where did you start, like, was it cocktails um, that kind of started building a beverage program for you in your head, or was it just, you know, pouring? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I was working in restaurants prior to the Flatiron yeah. Room, of course. Uh, Flatiron Room is just definitely where I fell in love with whiskey itself, and and cocktailing, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, like, I you know, the whole sure. quote-unquote mixology thing, even though... Never call it that because that's yeah. It's a little little silly. Yeah, it is. Uh, but I I kind of went under the wing of a guy named Luis Zamoretto. Um, still works at the Flatiron Room. Oh, cool. He's he is a wealth of knowledge. This guy will be able to tell you about pretty much any whiskey out there. <laughs> cool. If if he hasn't tasted it, he's looking to do it. <laughs> uh, he's also you know a great great bartender and kind of laid out the foundation of modern quote-unquote mixology mm-hmm. to me and and how to make a great cocktail going back to the classics mm. um bartender before that but we're talking you know some mojitos some daiquiris yeah. uh nothing crazy but uh with with a good base knowledge of spirits now and and knowing what makes a great spirit uh kind of helped me out with with making a great cocktail mm. and decided to branch out and do my own thing you okay. know like you get what you can out of a place, and I love the flat iron room yeah. for it. Um, and then you kind of build your own thing. Yeah, so where'd you go from there? Went to a spot called the District Tap House, okay. uh, which is about 10 blocks north of there. Great beverage program, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. We're talking you know, 50 draft lines, 300 beers, 400 unique spirits. Uh, and it kind of allowed me to put my touch on a bar there called the Vig, which mm. is in the back bar. And it was my own. The only bartender there was myself. It cool. was open four days a week. It was open when I said it was open pretty <laughs> yeah. much. And kind of got to mold the back bar as well as the cocktail menu, and that extended to the front bar as well. Okay. Uh, they went on to open another bar called District Social. And Empire slowly building. District <laughs> local will be open in a week. Oh, cool. Yeah. Which one did we go to the other night? We went to District Social. Okay. Uh, that was the second yeah. predecessor. Yeah, cool place. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun spot. Fun yeah. spot. You know, great whiskey list, of course. Uh, some some speed cocktails. <laughs> Built for speed, not for comfort. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. Yeah. And very eclectic <laughs> clientele. You have everybody yeah. from, from models from the fashion district over there to young professionals coming from tech yeah. to finance bros. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's a guy yelling at us about the Lakers too that night. Yeah, there was there was that. So, something like something something random like that. Um no, but so like where when you were doing the cocktails, um 
was there any certain spirits you wanted to work with? Um, I mean, obviously whiskey, but I guess what any um, certain whiskeys, or was it all over the map? Branched out, you know, you just yeah. try to kind of have a balanced cocktail menu. Yeah, it's like while while my greatest love in spirits is whiskey, like very much gotten into agaves lately, yeah. and kind of it's a natural progression. It's like if you care about rye and corn and barley, why not look into agave? Yeah, and look right. How, you know, get a little bit more passionate about things on the outside there as well. Lots of similarities, right? Oh, 100%. Total barrel aging and lots of fun stuff there. Yeah, and like the way that like mezcal and tequila affects like the local cultures down in Mexico, like it's it's huge. I mean, it's such a huge product down there. I was at a, um, an agave conference <laughs> actually okay. not too long ago. Uh, it, was, it was part of a conference, but it was like an hour or two discussion um, with actually two uh, uh two women that run distilleries down there and it was such an amazing eye-opening conversation and they spoke Spanish the whole time and it was translated in our ears. It was was, was so great and I think that's kind of where cocktails are going right now, especially what I see in Chicago. It's like, yeah, if you have a mezcal on your menu, I'm like, I'm going to try that cocktail for sure. Yeah. It's just something different. I want to branch out like you said. Um, But what years were you uh, running the VIG then? Uh. Honestly, at this point, I can't even okay. tell when, how long ago that was. But yeah. it was about three years ago, for okay. about three years. Okay, so, awesome. Uh, I'd say somewhere between 31 and 34. So. Yeah. What were, uh, what were people coming in and looking for, you think, mostly? So I, I, I had a lot of guys coming in for whiskey, okay. that's for sure. Yeah. Um, just rapports? Just kind of looking for me to lead them mm. where they should go, right? So it's like once you come to a bar and you, and you see that they have a solid selection, yeah. and you get a pour of something, if your bartender recognizes that you want to learn, mm-hmm. um, that's a place that you should be coming back to. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's a conversation we tend to always get on this podcast is what happened to that relationship between the person behind the bar and the person at the bar. Yeah. Because like last night, I went to a bar that wasn't a great whiskey bar, but the bartender was awesome, so I stayed for a second drink, and we, sure. just, we just chatted. And yeah. there was really nobody else there, but the cocktail was all right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But the conversation was good. Yeah. Um, as a bartender yourself, kind of where, where did you approach people, or how did you approach people? It's all about kind of... Fitting your guests' needs, yeah. right? It's yeah. like if, if you're coming in and you're looking to sit at the end of the bar and not talk to anybody and read a book, cool. Yeah. Right? But if, if the, you're there for conversation and you're there to learn, mm. you go there with that. And hospitality is all about ad- adaptation, I think. Yeah. Uh, but a huge part of it's that interpersonal communication. Like there needs to be a little bit of um, give and take there. Yeah. Right? Like... Uh, as a bartender, you're a therapist, you're a best friend, <laughs> yeah. you're, you know, uh, ear to listen, you're whatever the guest needs. And at the end of the day, it's all about making that guest stay, yeah. right? Like you, you come into a bar and you could have, you could have the crappiest day in the world. But at the end of the day, after that drink, things could turn. Yeah. It, but they're not turning around because of that drink. They're mm. turning around because of that conversation. Mm, that's a great way of putting it, yeah. And in, I guess the, when someone orders, I don't know, uh, I, don't know I can't think of any certain whiskey that comes to the top of my head because it's only 9 in the morning. And sure. You're focusing on coffee. Yeah. Um, no whiskey yet. But yeah. uh, if they order a nice pour, then is that where you kind of like, okay, this person might want to have more of a conversation about whiskey in general? A hundred percent. Yeah, like if somebody's walking into the bar and they're ordering um, 
you know, a Glendronic 15-year, mm. that's an opportunity for me to kind of step in and, and talk about whiskey and talk about what we have on our back bar and maybe even introduce them to something to introduce them to something new. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was it was always kind of a, a fun learning exercise for both myself and for, for my guests, yeah. kind of learning from each other. Yeah, because it's kind of amazing sometimes when someone comes in with maybe even more knowledge than yourself of whiskey, and you're like, as long as they aren't being like a jerk about it, I'd I love to be educated. I mean, I don't, I don't care who it comes from. That's, but just, why, that's why we're in this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how crazy did you get with cocktails? Did you use any like awesome pours, or did you keep it pretty limited to... I mean, personally, I always looked at myself as a B-level bartender. Okay. You know? And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I built four or five ingredient cocktails okay. for to be able to be replicated. I never wanted to make anything crazy because of the bars that I worked at. Okay. Uh, my personal cocktail menu might go to seven, eight, nine ingredient cocktails, uh, but it was, it was a lot of it's pre-batched and just kind of built to, to crank, Yeah. right, for volume. Uh, but, yeah, I have some friends which, which will uh, <laughs> make 20 ingredient cocktails, and yeah. they're phenomenal. Yeah. But it's going to take you 15 minutes to make one. Yeah. It didn't really work out when you have a full bar with 100 people there. <laughs> Good point. I was going to ask you to do that for the customers or because of the bar space? or uh, yeah. yeah, it was all about the bar space and, and kind of tailoring to the staff that we had. Uh, anytime I created a cocktail with over five ingredients in it, I'd get some serious, serious bad looks okay. after my shift. Okay. And I always wanted my, uh, my shift drink after, so mm-hmm. I decided to cut that out. Yeah, no, it's it can be a little bit overwhelming. I think just as I'm, I'm not a bartender, I was just barbacks and you know pour Bud Light for people basically. Yeah, and learned through the uh, um, I guess through the actual distillery side of everything about this industry. Um, but ever sitting at a bar and you're like, there's like eight ingredients in there. It's just overwhelming sometimes to even watch it uh, being made, and you're like. And I want to taste everything in there. You're like, I can't. Right. I, am it's, I actually going to get the flavors from every component of this cocktail? It could likely be very muddled. Yeah, yeah, right? definitely. And you're like, whenever I have a cocktail, like at a bar, and I really like it, but it's like, I wish I could replicate it on some level at sure. home or like at a party or whatever, because I'm sure you get this too. You go to a party and you just end up bartending in the kitchen for like a couple of like, it, you know, 20 minutes turns into an hour sometimes. But it happened uh, to me this weekend on a rooftop. Go. Yeah. Oh, well, that's something like I have brought my own shaker and made a mistake. Yeah. I, I, when you, <laughs> I guess when you, uh, my instances of bringing my own kit, it's like, okay, well, you brought your bar toolkit, then uh, I guess you're going to be here making cocktails in the yeah. kitchen for two hours, which is actually fun to do, because everybody comes to you, and you can kind of talk in, about that that way, and you can also talk about your passion of whiskey, sure. too, sure, yeah. even when you're at a New Year's Eve party or something with strangers, but people are like, oh, are you a bartender? I'm like, no, I just really like whiskey. <laughs> Hard to separate work from uh, personal life sometimes, yeah. not going to lie. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, that's a good like, conversation to have. I mean, yeah. It's it's weird. It's it's. I was sitting there thinking the other day, and I'm like, I'm technically working as I'm at this bar, learning about stuff, even though it is you know ten o'clock at night, and sure. um, you know, I'm literally taking notes in my phone about <laughs> about cocktails, and you're like, when do you turn it off? I don't think you ever turn it off. Like to be honest, I yeah. think you're always kind of in in that mode. But with that said, it's it's a labor of love, Absolutely. like we talked about, right? Um, and it sounds cheesy, but it's going back to like if if you're doing what you love, are you really working? Yeah. 
So it's like sitting here with you, and again, when you invited me over to this podcast, I was like, I was like, yeah, sure. You mean like this hotel room? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just two men in a hotel room. Yeah. Um, the Brooklyn Boutique Hotel Room. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the old story always uh, starts. You know, it's yeah. it's to me, it's it's fun. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Like when I sit across the bar from somebody and I'm talking whiskey or I'm talking industry in general. It's a good time. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's work. <laughs> it is. You know, and it's, it's funny because I was talking to Dave um, Vitali, the owner of Starward, about this because I was like, do you want me to shut down the podcast? Um, is, or can I keep running it if I work for you? He's like, oh, no, keep doing it. And what I've come out of it is like, oh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a mixture of both worlds of work and pleasure because now I have like bartenders on and, or, you know, bar- beverage managers and stuff like that. And like, oh, this is a good way of like getting your, my product now on your shelf and I'm not even trying to do that. It's invert pretty much. And they're like, Oh, come by with star Wars, you know, and it has happened a couple of times in the last few podcasts. And you're like, okay, I wasn't really doing that because I wasn't right. trying, I wasn't, that wasn't my end goal with this because of the, my whole goal of this is just to be an ambassador of whiskey in sure. general, just to talk about whiskey and sure. have these conversations. But I guess if you can promote your product too, it helps out. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it, it, I don't really, yeah, you don't turn it off. It's just kind of always going. Yeah. It's always, it's always going. I was even in a cab the other night and someone asked me about, uh, like, I can't remember how the whole conversation even started and they just used bourbon and whiskey, um, terms incorrectly. And I'm like, Oh, well, yeah, actually bourbon is a whiskey. And it, all of a sudden I'm like on a five minute conversation about the history of bourbon. And you're like, why am I doing this right now? And, yeah. the, and I was like, and I wouldn't have done it if the driver wasn't interested. We kept asking questions. So I'm like, all right, I'll keep talking. But yeah, you just don't. I mean, as a bartender, when you were bartending is that, um, taking in all those emotions, taking in all those guests, problems if you will or just everyone's day how do you how does that live in your head or does it escape do you turn it off at the end of the night um are you able to because i know there's a big conversation right now between mental health and bartenders oh 100 i'm glad that's finally happening we like because it's probably been there for hundreds of years yeah uh yeah i mean you know the there's a there's a lot that you're taking on from from people across your bar as yeah. well as releasing it yourself I'm a, <laughs> yeah uh, a big part of why I got out from behind the bar was was that, to be honest. I got out because of my own mental health mm. uh, and, and just the constant kind of abuse that you're both mentally taking yeah. and you're creating on your body, right? Mm-hmm. The late nights, the drinking, yeah. all that. So It's another big it's thing about when, turning, when do you turn that off, you know? Yeah. When yeah. do you stop drinking? What, what night do you right. not drink? Yeah. Right. Uh, so you're behind the bar and everybody's kind of having a party while you're there and, and it's great to kind of to be able to put people in that place and give them that release. But when do you get your release? Mm-hmm. Right? You're taking on the frustrations, the happiness, the emotions, and then it's two, three o'clock in the morning and you're off. What are you gonna do? Yeah. You're gonna go have a drink with your coworkers, Definitely. right? And that that could Hey, turn least, turn yeah. problem problematic. Um, Definitely, quite quickly. Yeah, we're having a guest on um, a couple of weeks named Johnny um, Boucher, who runs a uh, organization organization called Hope for the Day. Um, and he was a bartender, and he was talking. Um, I was talking to him, and he's I think he said he's lost like nine friends from suicide in the industry. Wow. Yeah, and or at least nine friends um, overall. I'm not sure if they're all industry, but. He kind of saw that there was a big problem, and for him too, he's like, he's been he's been sober now for almost a year. Um, he's like, I'm not 
necessarily be sober my entire life, but I just wanted to see if I could do it. And he's like, I feel great. And sure. he stopped bartending and started running this organization. But now his whole goal is to help people that are behind the bar and people that are in this industry like ourselves who are reps and you're out every day and you're drinking and you don't necessarily not getting drunk every night, but you're still drinking. It's late sure, nights. There's a drink here and there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> comes with it, comes with it. Um, but I'm just glad it, and there's even therapists now that we're bartenders that are kind of helping out, um, people at a, uh, you know, a lower cost cause insurance is most people don't have insurance. Um, when you're a bartender. Yet another factor of why I yeah, got out I'm from just, behind the bar. As soon as I said that, I'm that, like, yeah, that, that one, makes sense. That one unsaid, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, having health insurance is nice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> when uh, uh, when you break your foot uh, from climbing, oh, what was it? It was a it was a ladder okay. outside of my apartment. Oh. Trying to get back in. Okay. A fire escape, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, is it a fire escape? <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a. It was a fire escape. For climbing the sixth floor. Oh. Uh, yeah, locked myself out. Um, no alcohol involved in that, nope, obviously. Nope, nope. None, none at all. None at all. Doesn't Completely sound like it. Completely sober. <laughs> Five o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. <laughs> I believe you. That's kind of when you decide, maybe maybe it's time to take a turn. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. How far did you fall? It wasn't wasn't all that you far. It was, like, it was like a story. It wasn't six okay, stories. I, was like, <laughs> I would not be sitting here if Are it you was Batman? six stories. <laughs> I am not Batman. <laughs> um, yeah, but needless to say, it was not fun being out of work for six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jeez. No pay, yeah. no insurance. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense when you go over to the brand side of things. Yeah. So what took you there? To the brand side of yeah. things? Or how did that start? It started with a... With um, kind of a, a mean search of the internet, to be oh, okay. honest. <laughs> so you wouldn't search for it? You just did yeah, it? Yeah, just, I just went out there and did my own thing. I didn't, I didn't ask for, for any assistance from rep friends or anything. Just kind of went about it my own way. Okay. I think what really made me go that route was a competition that I entered. It was an Old Forester competition, oh, cool. actually. It was an old-fashioned competition in the city. And I came in top three in New York. And I think that got me thinking of like, you know, I could do this. I'm not a celebrity bartender. I don't want to be a celebrity bartender. Be. Nah, <laughs> you, have the, you have the beard for it. I do have the beard for it. I appreciate that. It's <laughs> ever graying. Uh, but never wanted to be that. Never wanted to be a, a face of okay. something. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it was more about this, about the conversation yeah. and the education. And that got me thinking about what the next step was. And like I said, it wasn't to be entering competitions over and over and over trying to make a name for myself in the bartending world. Yeah. A B-level bartender. Yeah. <laughs> just want to hey, make that clear. Top three old-fashioned uh, city. Yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose there, yeah. there is that. I've, I've shot a many bartending competitions, so I understand what they come with. It's, uh, it's, a, good, it's a nice little accolade to have. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess that's my one shining moment in, in bartending. <laughs> um, but... Yeah. Next thing you know, I, I got a job working for a small distributor called Blueprint Spirits. Okay. Uh, great craft portfolio. Uh, lots of brands such as Covell, even mm-hmm. though they're not in there. But um, yeah, started working with a couple of craft distilleries uh, representing um, a distillery called Two James out of Detroit. Okay. Uh, Catoctin Creek, yep. which I then went on to be their Northeast regional guy. Uh, Machu Pisco from Peru. And uh, another brand called Pure 
from hmm. Germany, which actually makes a phenomenal world whiskey as well. Really? I mean, heard of it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it's beer brand. She, she oh, finishes. Oh, that's um, okay. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, nice. Some, some fun casks, you know? Yeah, the beer brand is uh, it's taken off, I think. There's one distillery in Des Moines who's the former owner of Templeton Rye. He started it called Foundry, and it's like basically all beer brands. That's and they're amazing. barrel aging everything for two years. Yeah. I mean, they're doing a vodka and I think a gin and a white rum right now just yeah. to get things out in the market. Um, but yeah, they they have brews from like all over the country. I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to be talking about this, to be honest with you, now that I'm saying it. But yeah, uh, um, but yeah they have brews from all over the country and they're barrel aging all for two years. I guess you can see the barrels of their distillery. So um, it's a public view. Uh, but yeah, and then they're going to release it all. But I tried one of their um, white spirits. I won't say what brand it was, but... Like you should just release this because this beer brand is yeah, yeah, yeah. so tasty. We were, yeah. doing, we were doing beer brands at Koval with um, Goose Island and Revolution. I probably shouldn't say that stuff yeah, yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's <laughs> I don't know if that's coming local to the, stuff. Not local sure, stuff. Not, not sure if it's coming to the market yet. But sure. yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I think that was public knowledge, if I remember correctly. And just the white spirit of it alone was so tasty. We, yeah, we had one in a vat for quite a while just because of the whole like. Uh, Bit lawyers and stuff, if you will, um, trying to figure out how we're going to do the branding and can't say in the name of certain distillery or breweries and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. And it was vatted, but it still was just tasty. And I wish we would have barrel aged it for those, like the long period of time it sat in the vat. But I think they are barrel aging stuff now. And beer brands are just kind of like, in my mind, like a whole new spirit for to introduce to America and like play around with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm not sure how we got. Oh, yeah, Germany. <laughs> Tangents, Germany, Germany, Germany. Uh, yeah, no, but it's cool little thing to have, but yeah, and then, um, so yeah, that kind of took you through, how many years were you doing that side of stuff? I was was a blueprint for about a year, kind of bounced around the industry for the past four years, I would say, uh, trying to find a home until I found Redwood Brands and... Pretty pretty safe to say I found a home. Yeah, good, that's awesome, that's awesome, because I know, I mean, little we've spent together, it's... uh, Definitely um, an easy way, easy thing for you to talk about. I was just sitting there at that event we were doing last week or two weeks ago, and um, you talking about Star Wars was like you're super laid back about it, but a lot of passion came out of your voice and a lot of conviction too. And Appreciate uh, that. yeah, and then the guests that were sitting at our table, I could tell they really were um, taking everything in you were saying and like really having a nice conversation with the two, and it came so seamless. So I think you are in the right spot. Appreciate that. Yeah. 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 And then I know you have a call here in a few minutes. So we have to I get do, to a, a day of uh, doing many other things here in New York, which I'm looking forward to. But yeah. um, I'm glad you can come by at least for at least uh, 45 minutes out of it. So that's pretty good. We usually run, Solid. For, run for about an hour, but that was a quick 45 minutes, too. Um, Flew by. If, you know, it was a lot of fun. Even though we're not in a brewery, it still flies by recording a podcast in a boutique Brooklyn hotel room. The only thing we were missing was a dram of whiskey. Yeah. Well, we can get that if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I do have two minutes. So okay. There's that. I do have numerous Star Wars products in my suitcases. <laughs> oh, yeah. You didn't hear that um, airport security. Somehow, it's the most seamless thing I've ever brought into the country. But yeah, as, I'm not gonna, I'm not complaining at all. Yeah. So I'm like, I have business products. Like, okay, cool. I'm like, all right, see you. <laughs> Welcome back to the U.S. So that was uh, my point of entry. But Georgie, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, we'll uh, get this out here soon, um, and we'll have many more conversations, I'm sure, in the future. And maybe if we have some more time, come to Chicago and you can uh, come to the brewery and record a full podcast with Wilson. Look, too. Looking forward to that. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to turn that down. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Cheers, guys.